Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> so it's exciting to be able to continue the uh, um, the journey in the book of Acts. And so we're Acts chapter 6. If you turn to your Bible in Acts chapter 6, we're going to go ahead and look at some uh, new scripture for us. If you're brand new to us, and I forgot to mention this earlier, fill out a visitor card and place that in the back if you could. And to let you know for our visitors, uh, we're we're a, a Bible teaching verse-by-verse verse church. And there's going to come some times when you hit... Um, like a geology, a genealogy section. You know, we're not going to read every name in a book. And so today is one of those days where we're going to hit some things in chapter seven that I'll just kind of paraphrase. I'm not going to teach through because it's a sermon that somebody else has given. So I'll explain it to you. But um, we're, hopefully when you are able to circle, underline, write some things down, uh, and, you know, it, it'll help you remember what some of these things mean. So um, I'm excited about... Uh, about the book of Acts, because so Shale really hogged a lot of the preaching the last few weeks because he's like that. But um, anyway, he, he some of us get excited over like, man, I like this verse. Can I do this? And a lot of you ask, how do we divide it up? It really is. Hey, can I take this chapter? Can I take this one? And near the end of Acts is like you know me in history. You know me in like just the stories of valor, that kind of thing. I don't think you'll see him up here for weeks. No, I'm kidding. No, it's going to be like uh, our, our, we debrief and go to, over certain things together. And just I can't wait to sit around and like say, do you realize when you get this chapter what this means and what this is? I, and the, the excitement over valor and courage is something that gets me. I asked some, uh, somebody one time, I said, hey, what period of history do you like? And his response was pretty incredible. He said, I just love stories of courage. And that's really just where I am. And this is a story of courage, but it's also a story that reminds me of me. It should remind you of you, because it's written about an ordinary person who did something remarkable. So uh, anyway, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let me just pray for me real quick, and then we'll jump in this. Okay, Lord Jesus, please speak through me. God, don't let me be in, uh, distracting in any way, but let your word really become crystal clear. Please, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's pick up Acts chapter 6. Um, and Shale, uh, no kidding, I, when I say, you are my preacher. Like, I, I, you know, he prays for my good health every day that he doesn't have to leave his, his job, you know, to do this. And I tell him if he wasn't such a lover of money, he would be a pastor like me. <laughs> but, but I really, but, uh, he, but seriously, how you find time in your schedule and, you know, with a big home, he points to Courtney for sure, to, to, to preach the way you do. Thank you. Um, well, here we are. Stephen, who we learned about last week, is a deacon, a deacon in a church that's brand new church. It's a church where he is serving tables. And you may be thinking, what's the big deal about that? A widow was being served by certain men. He was one of those one of those guys. Nobody had ever said Stephen was a great orator. Stephen was a great leader. Stephen was a servant. Um, how many of you, by show of hands, grew up as a, as a kid in a church? How many of you grew up as a kid? Okay. Now, those of you who grew up as a kid in church, I want you to think back to, in your mind, somebody in your church who you never saw speak, you never saw lead a Bible study, but was so faithful. I'm talking they were in the church kitchen, they were in the, at the door with a bulletin handed. I mean, think of that servant, that if you went to church and they weren't there, it was noticed. 
This would have been Stephen. Stephen was just that guy. He was also a young man. Don't let this get lost anywhere. Christianity was a young person's revolution. Jesus started his ministry at 30, dies at 33, leaves this earth at 33. The men who followed him were young men. Stephen was a young man, an uneducated man, not educated in a formal realm of religiosity. But Stephen is about to be somebody who goes from the role of servant to the role of a preacher very quickly. So let's look at uh, chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now, let's um, actually keep reading, and I'll stop. Uh, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Okay, not going to go into full detail every verse by verse, but if just go back, if you would, to verse 8. Um, go up to verse 8, if you could. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was given the ability in the, in the early church, and ability by, given by God, to do incredible things. So, so wonders, amazing things were happening. Stephen was also caught up in the beginning of a church that was about to go through not only its birth, but its persecution. Can you imagine, it's one thing for us as a church, oh, we're a newer church, or maybe you're a newer believer, but can you imagine if we went from new to persecuted at the very same moment? Can you imagine that feeling, a feeling, a heavy hand of persecution? A lot of times, we have a woe is me attitude when it comes to the persecuted church. Or, you know, we think poorly of the poor persecuted. And it is sad. We saw, if you, um, Joe, you give me magazines from Voices of the Martyrs. Some of you are connected with Elam Ministries. Some of you connect with Dominic's Ministries. We are a church that spent six weeks on the persecuted church last summer. We're a church that loves the persecuted church. We are a church that believes the persecuted church has a message for us. The New Testament, the letters written from church to church, were persecuted writing to other persecuted. It was men writing to a persecuted church. There were people who were watching the cultural revolution of China when it broke out. I don't see David Pun in here. They, I don't see he and his wife Elizabeth. They, um, they usually go to the earlier service. I had lunch with David, and he was talking. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from China. He says, my family was moved as we were outcast on an island during a cultural revolution where they were purging all intelligentsia and all Christians. And his wife, same thing. They had to go to the Philippines and grew up in the Philippines. And so um, the whole Chinese community, Emma, Oscar, you probably know there's uh, pockets of Chinese that are very closed in, the, in those areas. And I was, I was hearing a story, like I'm meeting people that lived through the Cultural Revolution of China. He even told me, he said, Jake, I can remember where we were in China. My father took out books of the Bible the pages out, and folded them and wrapped them. He says, I still can remember as a child where the book of Leviticus was. He says, it was in, it was in like one of the you know, areas. He said, I still exact take you right to it where it was in my mind. So people started watching China. 50 million to maybe 100 million Christians at the outbreak of the Cultural Revolution. 
Christianity as a whole was worried. Persecution was going to kill the Christian movement in China. After the Cultural Revolution, 50 million to 800 million, or, or 50 million to 100 million translated from conservatively 500 million to 800 million believers in Jesus during the persecution. We say it again all the time. If you go to Iran, the fastest growing church in the world estimated 1 million believers who were not allowed to meet in public. No church officers, no church government, no one in charge of a church that is the fastest growing church in the world. You go to Cuba. I preached three times one night in Cuba at house churches. About 15 years ago, Cuba said they would not allow any more um, sanctioned or institutional churches. They'll have to be in homes. Cuba said, no problem. You can't walk down any other street and not find a church. Churches, thanks to communism, are all over Cuba. And by the way, when I preached, I preached at a Baptist church, I preached at a Presbyterian church, and I preached at a Pentecostal church. And all the pastors were best friends. There was no divide. I mean, sure, some were swinging from chandeliers and stuff like that. <laughs> but there was a, it was a difference. It was beautiful. And in fact, everybody came together. So what man means for destruction, God has a totally different feel about. So here we are. Stephen, full of power and grace, go to verse 9, and in case you're looking at this and thinking, what does this mean? Those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, who are these, um, these different people groups? Okay, you have to remember sect-based and tribal-based communities that go on right now. If you go to India, there's caste systems. If you go to Africa, there's tribal systems. If you're a Dinka, you can't associate with this person. If you go to Afghanistan, there's different warlords and people um, the Pushtans don't get along with these people, and the Shiites and the Sunnis don't get along. They don't. Go to Israel to find divide between Jews and Arabs. And so this was no different. Jews who were born in the particular area that they lived in had their groups, had their synagogues. But Jews who moved away or came from other areas were not allowed to worship in their synagogue. So they created their own synagogue. Who are these people? Uh, they were Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, a lot of very intelligent, academia-driven people. You had the, um, uh, the Cyrenians. These are people that, oh, these are people that were taken back to Rome as slaves when Roman, Rome came in, and they were generations, like children, grandchildren. They were still Jews. They came back in. Um, Alexandrians, anyone guess? That's from Egypt. Alexandria. Uh, then you also had those from Cilicia and Asia. Those are darker-skinned, um, uh, Somalian, kind of, you know, different uh, Northern African Asians that would, uh, are, are Jews that would come in. And so the Jews of the area are like, you ain't worshiping in our temple. No, no. You gotta, so they had to build their own temple. But nonetheless, they're zealous Jews. They're very passionate about, about Judaism. Watch what happens in the next verse, verse 10. But they could... Um, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So Stephen was obviously speaking, and they were upset with him. They were upset. If somebody jumped in here and started speaking a theology against us, I would hope, I don't know, you guys would probably say, you know, look, jump in, and it helped escort the person out. There's a time, there's a place. Love to have you come back and discuss. I mean, I, uh, we have friends that go 
to the synagogue right around the corner here, right by the fire station. I'm not going to walk in there on their day and their service and jump up and start saying these things. I'm just, now I'll, we'll talk, we'll engage, have lunch, discuss. But Stephen is walking in a room full of men that should know better. He's walking in a room full of men and he says this, you all are coming in here and you know there's a movement. This movement over uh, is about Jesus, and you know he's not just another radical rabbi. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've prayed about. He's the one we've waited for. He's the one we've wanted, and he's here. Stephen is still full. I don't want to say resentment, but he doesn't forget the fact that these were the people who ignored Jesus when he was here. And so these men, they were angry at him, and they started shouting him down. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. By the way, do you think Stephen would have done that? Nope. Verse 12, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. Watch what they say in verse 14. See if this doesn't sound familiar. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses has delivered to us. Um, go back, verse 13. Oh, no, actually, 14 is fine. He will, um, for we've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. Um, these accusers are looking at him saying, he, he, oh, by the way, he said that Jesus would destroy, what place are they talking about? The temple. Do you remember when Jesus stood in front of the council and they said, is it true that you say you would destroy this place? When they say destroy this place, they're saying it with a sense of pompous arrogance. I mean, they're looking at him and they're saying, this man said that Jesus of Nazareth, who, by the way, everyone, is dead. We haven't seen him around, have we? They're looking around. They're they're laughing. They're in the middle of the Sanhedrin council. Cue the Darth Vader music, right? This council is always popping up. These these men who don't get along, uh, the Sanhedrin is made up of Pharisees, Sadducees. They despise each other. But the common enemy they have in Christians is real. And so they're, they're making this court case. Jesus of Nazareth said he would destroy this place. I mean, you can't destroy this temple. But yet Jesus, when he was talking to the temple, meant what? His body, himself. He said, this temple will be gone in three days. It will rise again. And they, couldn't, they couldn't understand it. And so um, and he says he wants to change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Have you ever noticed when someone has nothing on you and they can't find anything else in what you're saying to disagree, they will attack you personally? This is what they'll do. Um, Watch when you talk with someone. First of all, when you engage with someone, if you feel like the engagement has turned into a debate, walk away. The Holy Spirit doesn't do debates. He just doesn't. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is one who will give you the right words to say, and you'll be amazed. 
And when someone runs, that's what truth does. That's what Stephen was doing. When truth stops flowing, here's what happens. People start using examples and illustrations. And what about this? And what about that? But the reality is we do everything we can to not deal with truth sometimes. Perfect example would be when we talk about, as a church, what it means to talk about life. What it means to talk about to someone that... We have women in here who've been through an abortion who will tell you it's horrific, and it causes pain down the line of regret and remorse. You have a ministry in your truth. Now, I'm talking to um, a person about the importance of life and about what it means and about how even admitting how the church has fallen in the wayside. I mean, not our church, because I look around and I want to brag on you guys, nothing We've done as a church, but I look at how many foster families and how many adoptive families we have in here. But for the most part, a lot of churches haven't done that. They haven't encouraged it. So we talk about life, the sanctity of life, but really offer no option. Well, we as a church need to do a better job. That's truth. But when we talk about the beauty of life, watch what happens when you bring it up. People will say, but what about this case? What about this scenario? What about this scenario? Folks, until we purge I'm not trying to get on a rabbit trail. Until we purge that sin from this country, until we do so, you're going to continue to hear what ifs. The same thing happened when they tried to purge slavery. But how are they going to get fed? I mean, what are they going to do without a roof over there? Well, they, are they ever smart enough to make? Watch the defenses that were given over slavery and watch the defenses that are given over things that are not life. Truth is truth is truth, but truth needs to be delivered with love and compassion. And sometimes, as in Stephen's case, it needs to be delivered with everything you've got. This man who was not, um, he was not somebody who was learned. He, was, he never received formal seminary education. The man was, um, was something who, he was like us. And yet this man had an opportunity to do something. And they looked at him and he said, his face is like an angel, pure, calm. Folks, if you attacked me personally and you started coming at me and you started saying, I know what you're about. I know your faith is weak and I know this, you don't believe in this. And you, and you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't act it here. You start ripping me apart personally. And then you start ripping apart what I stand for. This face is not going to look like an angel. It just won't have that look, and I feel bad for saying it. I wish I was, I was that person who could just, who could receive it. But I, I'm a person that, like we all are, we all have our points where we, we break. We all have our points where we just have a weakness. But we also have something in us known as the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit sees you drawn into something, he's going to do something remarkable. So I look at this and I think, the Holy Spirit has given me in times, I was eating, does anybody remember Mama's Pizza on Del Mabry? I never thought I'd be so glad a place closed because I would be 500 pounds. (laughs) Best garlic knots I've ever seen, the pizza. And I'm sitting, I I pick up this kid from University of Tampa baseball game, take him there, can't wait to get this pepperoni pizza in me. I'm sitting, it's right here, and the Holy Spirit just 
flushes me with this thought. You need to tell them about me. And I remember saying, Josh, do you mind putting down that piece of pizza real quick? I'm going to tell you something. He's like, what? You know, I'm like, oh, this is really weird. You know, but I wasn't a preacher at the time. I mean, I'm like, and you know, and I said, and I just babbled. I thought it was babble. It was the most eloquent delivery of the gospel that I've ever given. And I can't even remember and recall what I said. It was just flowing. I mean, I'm like, I'm moonwalking like Michael Jackson in my head thinking, <laughs> I just did that. I mean, I'm, I brought it down. He got saved. He's like, yeah, I'm going to pray. We, we pray. You get saved right there. And I said, man, I said, I was, whew, I was nervous. I didn't think, I didn't know what you'd say. And he said, you know what? All I kept thinking was, I hope you didn't cancel today. I just kept wanting to hang out with you. Kept wanting to, he said, during a baseball game, I'm like, man, I want to hang out. I hope he hangs out. What if I had denied in the Holy Spirit at that moment? And what had not, what had, that Jesus had set up, an, a, Holy Spirit had set up an appointment for me. What if I had not been obedient? Well, the Holy Spirit does something. When you go to witness to somebody sometimes, when it's a Holy Spirit-ordained moment, you'll be amazed at what comes out of your mouth. Have any of you ever experienced that where all of a sudden you're giving counsel to someone, comfort to someone, and all of a sudden these things are flowing out of your mouth and you're thinking, who am I? I'm the next Martin Luther. I mean, <laughs> this is it. But you realize it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I may have told you a story before. It's worth repeating. Um, I think it was I was I was in Afghanistan, and my translator. It talked about what the Holy Spirit can do. The Holy Spirit. Um, uh, we. I was talking to my driver, and he was telling me, um, just I mean, sharp guy. Just, and I'm like, man, I. What what kind of thing? It's got to be hard. I mean, he can't declare himself a Christian. It was just like six months after the invasion. It was really close after the invasion. And I was like, what do you? Uh, do you have any things where you've seen God move? He goes, oh, yeah, I've got things where I see God move. As a matter of fact, um, you know, when the Taliban was ruling the area, they would, they would execute you for a number of reasons. And I knew these reasons. I had studied them before I went. It was like you could, you'd be shot if um, you were caught reading anything other than the Quran, anything. You were executed. If ladies, if you were caught studying, reading, or teaching, you would be executed. You'd be executed if you flew a kite. I'm not kidding you. A kite. The 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 rules. If your beard wasn't long enough, except if you weren't this particular tribe that was more Asian and you couldn't grow a beard, they kind of looked the other way. They would execute you. They would ask you to recite a prayer. Give us a prayer, and if, and if you couldn't say it, you couldn't say it. David executed. So he says, I'm at my house. Um, the Taliban rolls up in their trucks, and they start searching the home. And how they found the Bible, I don't know. But they walked out with the Bible, started screaming, yelling, and they threw my wife, kids, down on the ground, and they put me in a place, and they're going to kill me, and they kill my family. He said, I lost all fluid memory of what was going on and perception. Everything was just a snapshot of a picture. He said, they brought the gun to me. He said, I just remember there was no thought of heaven. There was no thought of this is what I'm, he said, it was, I just, I was caught by total shock. I remember thinking this was the end. It was over. He said, it wasn't like we were, I mean, we had talked about dying a valiant death for the Lord. But it's another thing when you're confronted with immediate death, you don't have time to think. He said, I sat down, 
And all of a sudden, I looked at the man and I said, how dare you do what you're going to do? You're going to pull that trigger on me immediately in heaven and so will my family. And because of you pulling one trigger, you're going to spend all of your life in eternity in hell. And the man looked at him and said, what are you, what are you talking about? He says, listen to what he says. He said, you're going to shoot a family for reading the Quran. He grabs the Bible, looks at it, looks at it, puts it down, tells his men to get up and go. The men could not read. They didn't know the difference between a Bible and a Quran. He said, in my life, I would have never have thought of saying that. In my life, I would have never have imagined he said, the Holy Spirit just threw this. He said, I just remember saying it, going, thinking, what's happening? It was my last words or words I don't even know what I'm saying. But the Holy Spirit does that, moves. I, I, I talk to, to people all the time about, you know, what do you experience and other things. There was a, a horrendous story. I didn't tell this the first service, but this one just came to mind. I'm talking to some friends of mine who... Um, or with the Swiss group that I was with last year who worked with Christian, persecuted Christians, he said, um, three of our guys were in a convoy in northern Iraq, U.S.-controlled, and he said all of a sudden it was taken over by ISIS. ISIS has a very common philosophy of stopping traffic and going through and asking you to read to say your prayers. If you get your prayers wrong, they pull you out and shoot you. It was one of those. It's a horrific thing that happens a lot, or happened a lot. They were lined up. The, they were shooting truck drivers, every, uh, car, anything, buses. They were pulling people out, shooting them. So they couldn't, if they missed one word in their prayer. He said, he's sitting in there with all three, in, in, in your passports will say your religion. If it showed you were a certain person, you were executed immediately. He says, in that car was an Israeli Jew, an American Christian, and um, I forgot the other Christian that was from... I think Switzerland. Every one of them had either Jewish or Christian stamped in their travel book. It was just what put in there. They get up to the line. All three workers look at the man. The man looks at them. He leans in and says, um, the three of you are we're international workers, and we're here to keep going. The man steps back, waves them through. Past, they drove past 20 or 30 dead bodies and none of them were killed. The Holy Spirit does more than speak through you. The Holy Spirit does more than arrange circumstances. The Holy Spirit is in total, 100% control of everything we see, hear, touch, and know. Everything. The world understood it. When Jesus said, hey, I'm going to leave somebody greater than you, it doesn't just make a bunch of sense to us. And but to them, it did. A spirit realm, it did make sense. Because in every populace, in every country, in every culture, no matter if they're sketching and etching on, on walls or building Ephesus and of, of temples and, and sacrifices, everybody knew there was a spirit realm. It was something that kept you up at night. It was something that brought darkness into a home. It was, it was something that was real. American Indians would, would sing stories over what the spirit realm meant. And Jesus, when he looks at his believers and he says this, I'm going to leave something better for you than if I were here. For all the darkness that you know is real in the spirit world, 
I'm leaving you one of me. A friend is here. He will be your advocate and defender, and you will no longer be alone. That's the power that exists in the spirit realm. And so this is what's going on in this courtroom. He stands up and he's debating with them, and they had nothing to say, so they start making up things. And he had the face of an angel, and look at verse chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, And the high priest said, Are these things so? At this minute, at this moment, are these things so? He stands up and gives a sermon. He gives the longest sermon in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, he gives a sermon where he goes through and he says this. If, by the way, if you want to read an Old Test, a survey, the Old Testament, read this chapter. Go through this chapter and walk through. Shale was talking to me earlier, and he goes, this is the greatest survey of the Old Testament you could get. If you want to get a, a Cliff Notes version, just read the 53-something verses of this, and he'll, he'll just, he walks through it. But he says, yeah, there was Moses. And then there's Abraham. Let me tell you, he goes through and he starts talking about these men. And he said, guess what you did to them all? You denied them. And you left them. And you abandoned them. And so he stands up and starts preaching against all of them. And he says, more than this, the Messiah comes, the very one who changes everything. And what did you do? You killed him. What angels delivered at our feet, you guys took. And you guys, and Stephen is full of not only the Holy Spirit. Man, I mean, he is full of passion. He is sitting there. This is his moment for all the times in his early church, he was angry over what people had done to the greatest giver of life. He's saying it right now, and he's letting them all know, you're all guilty. You're asking me if I'm guilty? Every one of you are guilty, and he's letting them have it. This was something that was not a surprise. Look what Jesus said in Luke Luke chapter 12, in verse 11 and 12. Look what Jesus says here. But before all this They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. This is an opportunity that Stephen knows he has, and more than likely he's going to die. Well, it's interesting, too, a common denominator in most anyone who talks about persecuted Christians before they die. This is going to give you chills. There's no panic, no screaming. There's a peace. Every tribe, every country I've been to, everyone I've ever talked to personally and read about, they will say there is a peace that falls all over them. And I'm hesitant to say this because I know if some of you are walking in here new to the faith and you're thinking, or you're not with the faith, you're going to think, I've lost my mind. But I've been around enough people who've left this earth and they're not alone. There's something that happens that I've seen people passing away in a bed and have a vision of something that is so real. I, I couldn't even say this at the last service because my aunt was here. I think it would be too hard on her. But I remember... Um, talking to my aunt after my mom passed. And there was, um, my mom was in a hospital room. I was doing fine. And and I, was a, I remember I was at a wedding and talked to my mom and aunt. I said, I'll be back to the hospital. And I said, no, you know, don't worry. Come in the morning. Just go home and get some sleep because we're getting discharged tomorrow. And they hung up. My aunt um, turned around and my mom, my mom said, what's the... Uh, Who's in that? Who's who's who is that? That's talking. Who's like? There's my mom was look like a picture of health. 
They'd taken all the wires off of her. She says, what's right over there? And my aunt turned, and she said, well, it's just it's an armoire. It's like a, you know, where you put your clothes in that. She goes, there's nothing. No, she said, it's got to be a room. She said, you can't hear everyone. It's getting louder, you know. And so my aunt said, no, there's no one in there. She goes, Betty, my mom had the clearest hearing. I mean, you she had a PhD in eavesdropping. She could hear you from there to there. And and I, she said, no, there's there's like, there's voice it's, it's right, Betty. It's with it. you got it. They're right there. And my aunt turned and she turned around and my mom had gone, gone glory. You know, I don't know what she heard. I'm her like uh, going to so many times. I would, I would go to people's homes. And man, they would just start clapping and die right there. I don't know what they see. I don't know that spirit realm. There are there is there are reasons you and I are protected from seeing things that we wouldn't want to see. It puts things in perspective for sure. But this moment, Stephen is just he's he's totally immersed. In the spirit, and again, jump with me to the end of verse or chapter seven, and I'd encourage you to read this if you could on your own time, but go down to verse fifty-one. He stands up in a guy who's being judged, and what does he say? Look at verse fifty-one. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. This man stands up to a council that brought him in to be judged, and he says, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised hypocrites, all of you are guilty of this. Your fathers were guilty of it. Your grandfathers were guilty of it. This is powerful. This is a man who's attacking the lineage. You have to understand, when we talk to people who believe in different systems of faith, you're careful. If you talk to a Buddhist person, you talk to a Jewish person, you you understand something. You're talking about everyone they've ever been related to connected. This is not just a simple version of, you know, I was Catholic and now I'm Protestant. Or, yeah, I was just kind of an Easter Christian kind of guy, now I'm a believer. No, this is, you're talking about my mother, you're talking about my grandmother, you're talking about, this is Stephen. Standing up saying, all of you whole stiff-necked race of people, you're arrogant in all your ways, and you don't understand yet, because you don't get it, and your fathers didn't get it, and your grandfathers didn't get it. Anytime you were given a chance, you did something terrible. And the Messiah came, and what did you do? You put him on a cross. Stephen, ordinary guy, guy who served tables, is now standing up to to the religious supreme court of the day and letting them have it. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? He hasn't stopped yet here, has he? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, who you've now betrayed and murdered, and who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Watch this for 54. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, Watch this. I'm going to go back to it now. But watch, before the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with them in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This moment, he stands up and he's, he's, he's telling them, he's, he's, he's telling them, you did not keep what God gave. And when they heard these things, they were, when it says they were enraged, that's an understatement. As he continues speaking, they childishly start plugging their ears. They're plugging their ears. And so it's like, I can't hear. I can't hear. And they're yelling. They're screaming. They take him out, rush him out of a door. What they would have done is taken him to the nearest gate, and they would have dropped. They would, the first witness would be the one who always throws the person over. They would have thrown him down in what they believe is a 15-foot fall that would completely knock the wind out. Somebody would roll him over. The second witness would take up a stone and would be directed at the person's heart, and they threw it at him. For the most part, the trauma of the fall, the first few rocks would kill a person, and they would lie there. Stephen stands up and makes an attempt to stand. And he stands up, And he sees something that no one else can see. And they continue pelting him. It says here, verse 56, And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What did you go to verse 59 and 60? How familiar does this look? It almost makes you wonder if Stephen wasn't a witness to the crucifixion. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Does this sound familiar? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Watch what he says in the next verse. And falling to his knees, he cried out with him a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus on a cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is merely emulating and saying exactly what Jesus had said, what we should be doing. You and I have that opportunity. Marcy, do you give, do you by chance, have Luke 21, verse 12? Do give, give a chance to show you that one? If not, maybe I'll borrow it. So Luke 21, verse 12. Watch this. Jesus says this. Before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Nope delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before the kings and governors for my sake. This will be opportunity to bear witness. Go to verse 14 if you could. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to mediate before how you answer. For some reason, that's not the verse I thought about at the very end. (laughs) You remember that verse? Is that it? 13. Go back to 13 if we could. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. How many times have you and I been cornered and people have thrown everything they have against you and what you believe in? I've seen some of you put through a literal hell. I've seen you wait out medical reports. I've seen you wait on judgments. I've seen you wait on decisions. I 
And what you went through, no one ever trained you for. That's what life does. Life has an ability to get up and start recalling things and saying things and saying mistruths. That's where Satan rules. Watch what happens as we go on to finish out in verse 8 and take Lord's Supper. I want to bring you up to a point of thought. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I want you to picture, if you could, bear with me, in your mind, exactly what happened. It's a brand new church. This is not long after the crucifixion and the resurrection. This church is new. One of our pillars, let's just say uh, we came back in, we're meeting in secret. We couldn't leave our, we couldn't bring our phones in, which is what they do in, in closed countries for fear they'll trace what's going on where you are and gathered. And I were to walk in here, and one of our leaders is Shale, and I were to walk in here and say, Shale was executed this morning. The void we would have as a group of believers. One of our anchors is gone. One of the ones that would easily talk to our friends and family. One of the ones who was stood up and take a bullet for he's gone. Can you imagine being told in this church, this early church, Stephen is gone and he's dead. That young man that we saw so much promise in, a young man who had so much courage, is gone. When you think everything has fallen apart, and everything has left. God is not finishing your story. I'm not trying to be trite about this, but he's writing a new one. But it's important for you to grasp, he's writing a story that you cannot write yourself. You cannot imagine what God is going to do in your next season. You cannot imagine what God is going to do for you. That is why I get so fired up and so excited when I sit there and I watch our senior adults walk in who are saying, don't talk to me about a fourth quarter. I'm not ready to go hang it up, hang up the jersey, looking at my last 10 yards. I don't like, no, I'm here. I'm here because God has sent me here and I want to do something with what I've got. There's a revival in their hearts, a sense in their hearts. It's powerful, a purpose. And that's what Stephen had. And so if you would, those, Art, who's ever helping you with the Lord's table, if you just go and head in the back. And before we take this Lord's table, here's what I want you to think about. All right, here it is. I want you to think about what you've been in or what you're going through. this. Stephen says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In the midst of being stoned, he gets up and he says, Behold, I see heaven opened. Here's, wow, this one, I, it, it, I mean, get this out. I'll get emotional. Think about this. 
when a Jewish priest would read, when they were done, they would sit down. So that when they taught, they would teach, and then they would sit to say it is finished. It's over. Jesus, in every description he gave, he said, I will be seated at the right hand of my Father. It'll be over. It'll be done. In this moment is the only picture we see where Stephen says, my God, he's standing. He's standing up right now. If you want my opinion on it, in the opinion of a lot of other people who write a lot of editorial about Scripture, and I'm just not asking you to anchor this in your soul, but man, I feel good enough that I can share it. I think about this moment. For every time that Jesus had to look around and see people that didn't care, and to have other disciples say, uh, probably amongst each, each other, when he's gone, will anybody even follow? Will anybody believe? When Satan walked up to Jesus and told him, practically putting his arm around him almost and saying, Jesus, I've been with these people. I've lived on this earth. They won't get you. They won't understand you. They can't fathom the message you're bringing. I know them. They won't get it. And at this moment, at the very first martyr for our faith stands up after he wouldn't back down. Jesus stands up an emotional right to say there he is that's mine they do get it they do believe they do understand they do have faith they do trust and they do know that I'm here that thought and that picture of Jesus standing is something that will resonate in our souls to understand that there is emotion when it comes to God there is emotion when it comes to Jesus and that emotion is real And it makes us think about the times we go to lose it, the times we go to fail, when the moments we deny Jesus the opportunity to rise up and say, that's mine, doing exactly what he or she never thought they would be able to do. And that power exists there, and that power exists in you. What a beautiful thought. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that in everything they had in mind, was death. Lord Stephen and everything he had in mind was life. For in everything the world has in mind against us and against you, may we have our mind in you. For whatever attacks us and ever assails us and whatever wears us out, Father, there's an agenda. Father, don't let our minds and our eyes be caught on the agenda we're stuck here on this earth with. Jesus, put our minds and our eyes on you. Each one showing, it still works. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.